Welcome to the Sensitive Shift Podcast. We're your hosts, Agat and Anna. And as highly sensitive people, we think about the words we use and how we use them. Today, we're talking about sensitivity, language, and communication. We're doing a special kind of episode today, brought to you in two parts. In part one, we'll begin with a discussion on language, words, and semantics. Then we'll move on to communication more broadly, which of course includes language as well as many other means of communication. Part two will focus on application. In a very practical sense, how can you foster sensitivity within your daily interactions? You'll hear some tips for HSPs and tips for communicating with HSPs. I think you'll find this one an interesting one. I got starting with you. I'm checking in. How are you today? How are you feeling about today's conversation? Hello. I am so excited to speak on this topic. I have been looking forward to this conversation. Anna, you know me. You know I am fascinated with semantics of language and the weight our words carry, and I've been interested for a long time. I think back in episode one, I mentioned there were so many things I wanted to do with my life when it came to careers, and I do believe that maybe in an alternate universe, I might have picked psycholinguistics as one of these multiple <laughs> interests. I, um, I remember being in one of my ed psych classes, so educational psychology classes, studying human development, and naturally speech and language comes up. And I remember being captivated by this idea, which one comes first, ideas or language? Mm. So that's, I think it's incredibly interesting. And in the psychology and then in the creative arts, which is what I do now, I have found a lot of relevance to studying nuances of language. So I still get to do a little bit of that. And I'm really excited we're talking about this today. You know, I can share as well that when I first met you in a professional context, of course, that's one of the first things I knew about you was mm -hmm. your interest in language. And I remember whether it be a social media post or anything that was communication related mm -hmm. in our office, we know that this kind of stuff goes to Agat before it goes out <laughs> into the world that you that's have. Me. Yes, you have this knack for sensing the meaning behind the words that are being used and often coming up with suggestions for how to communicate what you know we're trying to communicate, mm -hmm. how to communicate that more effectively. And I've always loved the feedback I've received when we've worked together. Oh, thank you. If you're new here, welcome. In our last episode, we introduced the theme of sensitivity and gender identity, gender norms, and stereotypes. We discussed how, despite the research that suggests that sensitivity occurs in similar prevalence across the gender spectrum, that the expression of this trait is certainly influenced by cultural, societal, and gender norms. 
We talked about femininity and masculinity and reflected on how sensitivity is overly associated with femininity, despite it occurring at similar rates across the gender spectrum. We imagined a world where we might shift our perspective to a greater understanding and embracing of sensitivity and what that world and we would gain as we might do so. A friendly reminder of our handy dandy acronym DOES to describe sensory processing sensitivity. D describes a greater depth of processing from the environment and deep reflection. O for easily overstimulated. E for emotional reactivity and empathy, and S for sensing the subtleties in our environment. Our previous episodes grazed on the idea that language was essential to our ability to comprehend and label concepts. Sensitivity has gotten a generally unfair bad rep when it comes to the associations we make with it, whether they're spoken or implicit. We are fascinated with this topic that touches both our personal and professional lives so deeply, and we do hope that by taking a closer look at semantics, we can shift our and your perspectives a little bit more. Let's start by defining the terms, shall we? What do we mean when we say language and communication? Are they different? And if so, how? Mm. Yes, so I'm glad that we're taking some time to define the terms, Anna, because it does get a little complicated and confusing. We'll try to do this as simply as possible. So language and communications are not the same thing, although they do intersect very closely. To put it simply, we can look at language as a tool of communication, whereas communication is a process of transferring messages. Language is the tool, communication is the experience. If we used an analogy or a metaphor, we could think of traveling as the larger experience, like communication, and then cars, boats, planes, roads as tools. So those could be language, body language, tones, and all the other tools we use to communicate. Then if we go a little bit more specific, and this is taken from the psychology of language and communication by Jeffrey Beattie, I think I'm, cor I'm pronouncing correctly, and Andrew Ellis. Language is organized around sets of signs and symbols used to create meaning. This organized system can also involve the meaningful arrangement of sounds, which then becomes words. They add, language has the structure and properties it has because of the function it must serve. So that indicates that language also organizes our ideas and thus influences our thoughts. And here I'm simplifying an entire field of study. So just bear that in mind. Communication uh, we'll look at it from also an analysis that these authors gave us. We'll use the example of me wanting to pick up Anna at the airport. Mm -hmm. Anna, hey. considering you are okay with me driving you somewhere, if we remember from episode one. <laughs> My driving is great, everyone. <laughs> what are friends for, if not risking our lives together? It's just a lot, but it, it's fine. <laughs> 
So let's let's think about communication within this example. So the first sequence, the first term we're going to illustrate from communication is I have made sense of the distance and way between you, Anna, and where I am parked at the airport, and I turn this information into words. So this is called a transmitter who encodes information. I'm the transmitter, and I encode the information, which is the distance and the way between you and me, into signals, which is words. Then the second sequence is, I express to you, Anna, the words and directions between you and the car. And that is called the physical transmission of a signal. And then the third and last sequence of communication is going to be, Anna, you understand my words and directions, and thus you know how to act based on those. And that would be a receiver who decodes the signals to recover the information. So if we expand it a little bit further by explaining how communication can fail, we would be looking at errors in encoding, transmitting, or decoding. And that could look like using our example, the fact that I used the wrong word to describe the direction, the phone line could be spotty, or you hear one of my words wrong or think it means something else. All of these could result in faulty communication. It actually just clicked for me when you were saying the example of the airport is we need like two people, the transmitter and the receiver, you yeah. and I. We need the signal that gets both encoded and then decoded. Right. And then in the middle is the transmission. Exactly. So now that we are experts of communication, language, and the difference between them, how do those concepts relate to sensitivity? What brings us to the topic today? Well, I would say it's twofold. Why, why are we even talking about this today? There's the exploration of sensitivity and language. Like we mentioned in our introduction and in previous episodes, sensitivity and high sensitivity has become generally associated with negative connotations, which also means words with pejorative semantics or meanings. And I'll just read the short passage here because Jen Grenman illustrates that very well in her book called Sensitive. So let me just get my book. She says, when we call someone sensitive, what we really mean is they can't take a joke are easily offended, cry too much, get their feelings hurt too easily, or can't handle feedback or criticism. When we refer to ourselves as sensitive, what we mean is we have a habit of overreacting. Sensitivity is often associated with softness and femininity. We call something a sensitive subject is something that is likely going to offend, hurt, anger, or embarrass the listener. Likewise, the word sensitive is often paired with an intensifier, like don't be too sensitive. Why are you so sensitive? In my own life, I have reflected on that a lot. So there was nothing that surprised me per se. 
but I don't, I do think that it's something that's very powerful summarized like this. The word itself, sensitive, was never built to represent anything negative, whether it was an action, a feeling, or a trait. But then meaning that we have started to associate with it culturally has become overwhelmingly pejorative. Of course, not only, but being aware of this and taking the time to reflect on this passage can help us start to shift our perspective because if we can't we can't make any changes if we don't start being aware then i would say second fold why why are we talking about sensitivity and communication and language is how do we make language and communication sensitive itself how can we foster sensitivity through the means of language and communication and why is it important and so on that note I wonder if we can start the exploration by reflecting a little bit on the connection between language and this acronym that we love so much, our handy dandy acronym, Anna. <laughs> we and do. You are the expert in the handy dandy acronym. Can you tell us some of these connections that you may have obser observed, sorry, between language? and does in your experience? The first thing that I think about when I hear this question is the S of the does, the sensing subtleties in the environment. And in this case, I'm thinking about words or facial expressions, tone. These are all occurring in our environment. And we're, mm -hmm. now I have the words to describe this, decoding. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all of this, like a pro. <laughs> all of this incoming stimuli, sensory stimuli. And that is how I connect being an HSP with the use of certain words, the use of certain tones, the use of volume of speech. Mm -hmm. These mean something. To I feel differently about them when I hear them. And as I was hearing you read the passage just before, for example, I felt myself as you were reading, there was a small part of me that was feeling defensive. Yeah. And also because I knew you were reading them, yeah. I was still really calm. Yeah. And so that allowed me to hear those words, although difficult words to hear, it allowed me to interpret them a little bit differently. Even there, there's so much, Anna, because you're talking about not only the words that are being uttered, but you're talking about the quality of the interaction because you know me, because you can see me, which are very important aspects of communication and sensitive communication as well, which is another part that made the experience of the transmission of the words very mm -hmm. different for you rather than if you were just to read them in the book although we can also say that because you're reading them as part of a on as part of being in a book about sensitivity you're probably your experience of them would also be different than if you were reading them as part of on a book on um how to make more money and then you mm -hmm. read don't be so sensitive <laughs> very <laughs> different context of how the words are being used right and the words are the same exactly so context 
very much matter tone, voice, seeing people. There, there's just already so much in what you said. Something I want to add as well in the language discussion, actually maybe more of a story or personal reflection, is when I started to realize just how important language was for me in my personal life came around the same time as I discovered a tool actually called the mood meter. I think a more famous version of this is the feelings wheel, a similar mm -hmm. concept. Basically, this is a piece of paper with a bunch of feeling words on it, a bunch of emotions. What I find really interesting about the mood meter, which is invented by Mark Brackett, is that it's basically an XY graph where X on the bottom is pleasantness. So you start from very unpleasant to very pleasant. And then the Y part, so the, the vertical part of the graph is intensity. So at the bottom is very low intensity, very mellow emotions, both positive and negative. And then at the top is very intense emotions. And so mm -hmm. this actually really gave me the tools to understand if I could feel how pleasant or unpleasant, and then if I could judge how energetic I was feeling, I could use my finger to point to an emotion that more accurately represented what I was feeling. So I think I discovered this at a time where I was using feeling words that were I don't feel good. They were almost like catch-all emotions. Mm. And to have a sheet of paper with it's 10 by 10, basically 100 emotions, allowed me to really give a name, to use the right word, gave me the tools to express myself, has me today feeling more authentic, more mm. clear, and allows me to feel like I am more understood. And so I'm connecting that aspect of language and having the words to express how we feel or even what we're thinking to sensitivity because I think as HSPs, everyone, but I'm going to speak as an HSP, as HSPs, when we have the right language to express, then our quality of life just gets so much better. Especially with all of this overstimulation at times and all, because that means there's so much going on at the same time, being able to attune and being able to label sometimes can really help with discharging a little bit. That's what I'm, I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, I think so. Labeling both our internal states and expression, and also that feeds into how we're interpreting all mm -hmm. of this external stimuli as well, right? So when I hear someone tell me they're angry, that now means something different than if they tell me they're mm. disappointed. Yeah. Or they're frustrated. And even if they do tell you I'm angry or I feel bad, a bit of these catch-all feelings like you were expressing mm -hmm. 
now you have developed some tools and because you can process subtleties, you can also help decode and ask to clarify maybe the nuance or the quality of that anger. Is it mm -hmm. anger that resembles hurt? Is it more inclined towards fear or disappointment, like you're saying? Is it more mm -hmm. frustration? Is it irritability? You have developed some language and because of your attunement and your processing, you're able to not only help yourself, but help others. I get based on what we just discussed, it seems <laughs> like you have, and I would imagine that you would have uh, many examples that might link sensitivity to language, particularly in your practice as a clinician. I do. And as a creative arts therapist, it shows up a lot in the in the clinical space, in the therapy space. So I would I would say some of the things I'm thinking about are clients coming in with a fear of not being understood because language may not capture the breadth of what they mean to express. Happens very frequently, very understandable. Mm. I would say that that's one of the reasons why I, like many others, have turned to art and embodied practices. And there's so many other therapeutic practices that don't use words necessarily. They can, but they don't always. And here we fall a little bit in the intersection between language and communication because mm. I work with different mediums to help people express themselves without necessarily using words because the words sometimes are too difficult, they're too painful, or they're simply non-existent. They're impossible. And that doesn't mean that communication isn't happening because expression is taking place. So there is communication. Going back to language and usage of words, I employ narrative techniques and storytelling, metaphors and text, external text, like poems, plays, that are always, those are always, I use words and language in a creative manner to help people with expression, perspectives, reclaiming power and dynamics, and eventually healing. Language produces imagery, and imagery holds feelings. So it's an incredibly powerful tool in the therapy space. I think that links so well with what we just talked about in terms of the language for emotions, because while this can be a really valuable tool, it doesn't have to be the only one, or it can be one we're working towards. And as we're working towards this, we also have ways to express ourselves in different ways too, is what I'm hearing from you, I guess. And it sounds mm -hmm. like you have clients that were kind of like me. <laughs> well, it's sometimes and we easier. need sometimes a little support and a little help to be able to, you know, get the message across or even understand our, our own self, what we're thinking or what we're feeling. Well, exactly. And I, I will go even as far as to say, I, I'm not the one who holds the answer at the end of the day, like what what that tool did for you, Anna, and what I hope that that's what I do in the therapy space is provide guidance. 
I'm not telling people something they don't already know. The feeling of disappointment you talked about, Anna, you had that. You knew that. It was mm. in you. But you needed a guide to bring something forward within yourself, which is what we do in the therapy space. I'm not an expert in your experience. Mm. I'm just here to guide. So I think this is very important, even with language and any other technique that we use in any space, but in the therapy space in particular, that it's used as a mean to explore something that's already there. Mm -hmm. I will also say that we look at what is said and what is not said. The word choices, the body language, the labeling. So again, your ex example is very powerful, Anna, because it shows the power and weight that words have. There's this saying, and I forget half of it, but I will, I think the essence of the, of the term or of the saying is that people will forget what you did, but they won't forget how you made them feel. And it illustrates the importance of being over having or doing all the time. And that is something I have reflected a lot in our world of today, which is very much focused on doing and having all mm. the time instead of mattering and bettering ourselves on who we are. And the way that we speak to people and communicate is a major way that we promote certain atmospheres and the way that we make people feel. Mm -hmm. We'll definitely expand on that in the second part because we'll talk about how we make communication and language sensitive itself. But I thought that that was something that was also important to bring up because it, it, it does show up in the clinical space as well as the personal space. Interesting. I'm still thinking about this analogy of uh, transmitter, receiver, encode, decode, and it's having me think about the quote that you just said, and it sounds like we forget the signal. <laughs> we forget maybe even the way it was decoded, the exact signal that it was. We will remember the impact that signal had on our body, on our feeling. Mm -hmm. And so that has me thinking about communication being more than just what is the message. It's also what happens after the message was delivered. Yes. Matters. It's an entire field. Ooh. It's an entire science. Psycholinguistics is so interesting. <laughs> I can't say it enough. I think it's, oh my goodness, there's just so much there. Mm -hmm. So it's, again, we're just brushing the surface of this but <laughs> the people talking to each other the context everything matters mm -hmm. um, on a personal note which is also relevant to the professional setting I would say I'm quite insistent and careful on semantics and word choice because I have experienced the impact damaging words can have I will refer back to episode two where I spoke about my experience with bullying. Some of that bullying was with 
words and the choice of words used was very upsetting, very problematic. Now, coming back to the present, I will say I spend a lot of time studying semantics and being sensitive does make me more prone to reading into things. But I am myself by no means perfect, especially when I am overstimulated, overwhelmed, frazzled, or frustrated. Very difficult for me to continue being as careful. An example of that could be if I have too many things on my plate or too many things to think about and I'm hanging out even with you, Anna, someone who's very close to me that I feel safe with, my way of speaking to them or my interaction with them might be a little bit more uh, short. I might have a harder time with patience or with checking in because I'm very much focused on what's going on inside to try to regulate. I also don't expect perfection because I know I there, that doesn't exist. I do try and check in when I'm unsure if someone meant to use words a certain way. That's where intention and impact are part of the conversation. They're part of the equation. We alluded to them earlier. As you were talking, I was thinking about an example of, let's say, me <laughs> coming home. And let's say my fridge was stocked and I told, let's say my partner was home and I told my partner, oh, I'm going to make us this for dinner. And my partner said, oh no, don't make that. Let's go out. Like, let's go out. I want to eat whatever. Pretty simple communication. I could interpret that as they don't like my cooking. Mm -hmm. they might have intended to give me a nice experience out mm -hmm. to have me be relieved of the task of cooking and how important it would be to clarify and I would say it'd be the onus would be on me if I was not feeling well or feeling hurt by that statement it would be on me to clarify the intention to check mm -hmm. is that an accurate summary of what you were saying in terms of intention and impact i think it's a great example because it shows it shows that where the communication is faulty in quotes is in the decoding so in the interpretation Mm -hmm. And interpretation is dependent on so many things. It could be on the quality of the messaging. It could be on tone use. It could be on the words that were used. It could be on the context in which the sentence was even spoken. It can also be on our state of mind. It could be on our previous experience. It happens mm -hmm. a lot. For example, you have past trauma or past experience that you know, when, when your partner said these words, what you had in your mind was, oh, my previous partner hated my cooking. Right. So I, 
my automatic thought is this is what's happening again. It doesn't have to be rational, but we, as human, we do that a lot because this is the way that our brain has organized our thinking mm. over time, which is why discerning intention and impact and being able to communicate that clearly helps tremendously in positive, healthy, supportive relationships with people in all specters of life. Is that a mm. word, specters? Areas of life. Okay, this is beginning, it's beginning to click for me because it sounds like words matter. That's our premise. Mm -hmm. It also sounds like when there is miscommunication, a difference between sort of the message intended and the message received, it isn't necessarily that the words need to change. Mm -hmm. It isn't necessarily that we need to get better at using our words. It may just be part of living that we need clarity and clarifying questions sometimes because we're all working from different experiences and different interpretations and that might be okay to a certain extent so language can take us so far and mm -hmm. then communication takes us the rest of the way exactly is that fair yes and it's also it's being mindful about all the factors that impact communication and again we're not saying that you have to be at all times we can't it's just there's so much going on but to mm -hmm. know that there's more than the words that you spoke or wrote that will impact somebody's ability to interpret those and then mm -hmm. know exactly what you mean or how you meant it how you meant it is a big part as well because mm -hmm. i could say anna did you do the dishes today or did you, did <laughs> you do triggered already. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I can say, Anna, did you, did you do any chores today? Hear my tone. And then if I say, yeah. Anna, did you do any chores today? So different. So different. But both of those words were, I'm it was already the like. the same <gasps> sentence. Yeah. But then see your, how you feel about yeah. those words. The tone mm -hmm. is informed by your experience. I had no idea to know that you yeah. were going to be triggered by this, which then could take me back to being trauma-informed. But <laughs> I... My but first that, thought was, I didn't do enough. What did I do? I, didn't, <laughs> I forgot something. <laughs> but that's informed exactly by your experience mm -hmm. and what you've been through in the past. It, a lot mm -hmm. more than it would be informed by the actual words. Right. Words themselves, yeah. just like we were saying with the passage that I was reading earlier, the word sensitive was never meant to describe anything negative to begin with. It's just a word. Mm -hmm. it's, it describes a trait. It describes a quality. It's not, since when is it linked to weakness or to fragility or to not being able to take a joke or overreacting? It's the construct people have built around this over time. And a lot of it is subconscious. We don't think about this, which is why we're talking about it today. It's because we're just hoping that by bringing awareness, you can start to just think about what 
what we're saying. Mm -hmm. It takes time to reframe an entire way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Let's start to think about sensitivity as what it is, right? Yeah. This depth of processing, this meaning making, this appreciation, this sensing of subtleties in the environment, the richness that that brings to be able to sense all of these different stimuli and aspects of our environment and to a certain extent our internal environment too which i think mm -hmm. counts mm -hmm. let's start to think about it that way let's shift sensitive shift <laughs> sensitive. we really yeah. thought about this name see so yeah. yeah what a powerful shift that would be that's all for part one stay tuned for part two of this conversation on sensitivity language and communication where we'll focus on the application and practical ways we can include considerations of sensitivity.